The Orange Yellow Diamond by J. S. Fletcher. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter 13 The Call for Help. Purdy, whose temperament inclined him to slowness and deliberation in face of any grave crisis, motioned the detective to take a seat in the quiet corner of the smoking room into which they had retreated, and sat down close by him. "'Now, to begin with,' he said, "'why do you think this affair is connected with the affair of the old pawnbroker? There must be some link.' "'There is a link, sir,' answered Eiskopf. "'The man was old Daniel Martinius's next-door neighbor, name of Parslet, James Parslet.' fruit and vegetable dealer smallish way of business but well known enough in that quarter now i'll explain something to you i'm no hand at drawing continued the detective but i think i can do a bit of a rough sketch on this scrap of paper which will make clear to you the lie of the land these two lines represent pratt street here where i make this cross is daniel Maltanius's pawn shop the front part of it the jeweler's shop looks out on pratt street at the side is a narrow passage or entry. From that you get access to the pledge office. Now then, Maltanius's premises run down one side of this passage, Parslet's run down the other. Parslet's house has a side door into it, exactly opposite the door into Maltanius's pledge office. Is that clear, Mr. Purdy? Quite, answered Purdy. I understand it exactly. Then my theory is that Parslet saw the real murderer of Daniel Maltanius come out of Daniel Maltanius's side door, while he, Parslet, was standing at his own, that he recognized him, that he tried to blackmail him yesterday, and that the man contrived to poison him in such a fashion that Parslet died shortly after leaving him, said Eiskopf confidently. It's but a theory, but I'll lay anything I'm not far out in it. What reason have you for thinking that Parslet blackmailed the murderer? asked Purdy. This, answered the detective, with something of triumph in his tone. I've been making some inquiries already this morning, early as it is, when Parslet was picked up and carried to the hospital, this St. Mary's Hospital. Close by here he was found to have fifty pounds in gold in his pocket. Now, according to Parslet's widow, whom I've seen this morning, Parslet was considerably hard up yesterday. Trade hasn't been very good with him of late, and she naturally knows his circumstances. He went out of the house last night about nine o'clock, saying he was going to have a stroll round, and the widow says she's certain he'd no fifty pounds on him. When he left her, it would be a wonder, she says, if he'd as much as fifty shillings. Now then, Mr. Purdy, where did a man like that pick up fifty sovereigns between the time he went out and the time he was picked up dying. He might have borrowed it from some friend, suggested Purdy. I thought of that, sir, said Eiskopf. It seems a natural thing to think of, but Miss Parslet says they haven't a friend from whom he could have borrowed such an amount, not one. No, sir, my belief is that Parslet saw some man enter and leave Maltanius's shop, that he knew the man, that he went and plumped him with the affair, and that the man gave him that gold to get rid of him at the moment, and contrived to poison him too. 
Purdy considered the proposition for a while in silence. Well, he remarked at last, if that's so, it seems to establish two facts. First, that the murderer is some man who lives in this neighborhood. And second, that he's an expert in poisons. Right, sir, agreed Eiskopf. Quite right. And it would, of course, establish another, the innocence of your friend, Loriston. Purdy smiled. I never had any doubt of that, he said. Between ourselves, neither had I, remarked Eiskopf heartily. I told our people that I personally was convinced of the young fellow's complete innocence from the very first, and it was I who found him in the shop. It's a most unfortunate thing that he was there, and a sad coincidence that those rings of his were much of a muchness with the rings in the tray in the old man's parlor. But I've never doubted him. No, sir, I believe all this business goes a lot deeper than that. It's no common affair. Old Maltanius was attacked by somebody, somebody, for some special reason, and it's going to take a lot of getting at, and I'm convinced this postlet affair is a development. Posset's been poisoned because he knew too much. You say you don't know what particular poison was used? Asked Purdy. It would be something of a clue to know that. Because if it turned out to be one of a very subtle nature, that would prove that whoever administered it had made a special study of poisons. I don't know that yet answered Eiskopf. But, he continued, rising from his chair, if you step around with me to the hospital, we might get to know, now. There's one or two of their specialists been making an examination. It's only a mere step along the street. Purdy followed the detective out, and along Prayed Street. Before they reached the doors of the hospital, a man came up to Eiskopf, a solid, substantial-looking person, of cautious manner and watchful eye, whose glance wandered speculatively from the detective to his companion. Evidently sizing Purdy up as someone in Eiskopf's confidence, he spoke, in the fashion of one who has something as mysterious as important to communicate. "'Beg your pardon, Mr. Eiskopf," he said. "'I wrote the truth, sir. You know me, Mr. Eiskopf?" Eiskopf looked sharply at his questioner. "'Mr. Goodyear, isn't it?' he asked. Oh, yes, I remember. What is it? You can speak before this gentleman. It's all right. About his affair of last night. Parcelet, you know, said Goodyear, drawing the detective aside and lowering his voice so that passers-by might not hear. There's something I can tell you. I've heard all about the matter from Parcelet's wife. I've not told her what I can tell you, Mr. Icecuff. And what's that? inquired the detective. I'm Parcelet's landlord, you know, continued Goodyear. He's had that shop and dwelling house with me for some years. Now Parcelet's not been doing very well of late, from one cause or another, and to put it in nutshell. He owed me half a year's rent, as all yesterday, and told him I must have the money at once. In fact, I pressed him pretty hard about it. I'd been at him for two or three weeks, and I could see it was no good going on. He'd been down in a mouth about it, 
and last week or so, but yesterday afternoon he was confident enough. Now you needn't alarm yourself, Mr. Goodyear, he said. It's a nice bit of money going to be paid to me tonight, and I set it up with you before I stick my head in the pillar, he said. Tonight, for certain, says I, before even I go to bed, he says. I can't fix it to a minute. I can rely on me calling at your house in St. Mary's Terrace before eleven o'clock, with the money. And he was so certain about it, Mr. Icecuff, that I said no more than that. I should be much obliged, and I'd wait up for him, and— Concluded Goodyear. I did wait up, till half-past twelve, but he never came. So this morning, of course, I walked around here, and then I heard what happened. About him being picked up dying and since being dead with fifty pounds in gold in his pocket. Of course, Mr. Icecuff, that was the money he referred to. You haven't mentioned this to anybody? asked Icecuff. Neither to the widow nor to anybody, but you, replied Goodyear. Don't, said Icecuff. Keep it to yourself, till I give you the word. You didn't hear anything from Parsons as to where the money was coming from. Not one syllable answered Goodyear. But I could see he was just sure of having it. We'll keep quiet about it, continued Icecoff. There'll be an inquest, you know, and what you have to tell come in handy, then. There's some mystery about all this affair, Mr. Goodyear, and it's going to take some unravelling. You're right, said Goodyear. I believe you. He went off along the street and the detective turned to Purdy and motioned him towards the hospital. "'Queer all that, sir,' he muttered. "'Very queer. But it all tends to showing that my theory is the right one. Now if you'll just stop in the waiting-room a few minutes, I'll find out if these doctors have come to any conclusion about the precise nature of the poison.' Purdy waited for ten minutes, speculating on the curiosities of the mystery into which he had been so strangely plunged, at last the detective came back, shaking his head. "'Can't get a definite word out of them yet,' he said, as they went away. "'There's two or three of them. Big experts in what do you call it? Oh, yes, toxicology, putting their heads together over the analyzing business. And they won't say anything so far. They'll leave that to the inquest. But I gathered this much, Mr. Purdy, from the one I spoke to, this man Parslet was poisoned in some extremely clever fashion, and by some poison that's not generally known, which was administered to him probably half an hour before it took effect. What's that argue, sir, but that whoever gave him the poison is something of an expert? Deep game, Mr. Purdy, a very deep game indeed. And now I don't think there's much need to be anxious about that young friend of yours. I'm certain, anyway, that the man who poisoned Parslet is the man who killed poor old Daniel Maltanius. But we shall see. Purdy parted from Icecoff outside the hospital and walked along to Mrs. Flitwick's house in Star Street. He met Melky Rubenstein emerging from the door. Melky immediately pulled out a telegram which he thrust into Purdy's hand. Just come, mister, exclaimed Melky. There's a word for you in it. I was going to your hotel. Read what he says. Purdy unfolded the pink paper and read. On the track, all right. Understand Purdy is in town. If he comes to Star Street, explain all to him. We'll wire again later in day. 
Good, said Purdy. He handed back the telegram and looked meditatively at Melky. Are you busy this morning? He asked. Doing no business whatever, mister, lisped Melky solemnly. Not until this business is settled, not me. Come to the hotel with me, continued Purdy. I want to talk to you about something. But when they reached the hotel, all thought of conversation was driven out of Purdy's mind for the moment. The hall porter handed him a note, remarking that it had just come. Purdy's face flushed as he recognized the handwriting. He turned sharply away and tore open the envelope. Inside, on a half-sheet of note-paper, were a few lines from the pretty governess at Mr. Spencer Levendale's. "'Can you come here at once and ask for me? There is something seriously wrong. I am much troubled, and have no one in London I can consult.' With a hasty excuse to Melky, Purdy ran out of the hotel and set off in quick response to the note. End of chapter 13